I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Hebrews, chapter number five tonight. Um, Hebrews chapter five. We have some important things to talk about tonight. This this church still believes in reading the Bible, so we strongly recommend that everybody in this church continue to bring your Bible to church. Um, hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 11 is where we're going to start. you got to say man. Of whom, talking about Jesus fulfilling the office of Melchizedek, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We're going to do an exegesis of that here in a little bit. We're now in Hebrews 6 in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God will permit. And I know this is kind of an unusual title, but here we go. It's called Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's pray together, shall we? God, I love you. I praise you. Lift your voice. Let's pray. There's nobody like Jesus. What a privilege it is to stand before this group of people and have the Holy Ghost and have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God, I praise you. I worship you. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray like we're in church tonight. God, we're here to hear instruction tonight in righteousness by the authority of the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I... Uh, I really was going to title this something else, but um, I looked up this phrase, arrested development, and I thought, that's perfect. Um, I first, I typed it in my phone, and I first found out that that was actually the title of a television program. And I thought, well, surely nobody here watches it.
And so I'll go ahead and use that title for something way better than a television program. I'll use it for the Holy Ghost tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, it means an abnormal state in which development has stopped prematurely. Now, that might not mean a lot to you. It might just sound like just a sentence tonight. But it really does mean something that I think describes at least as an introduction what we want to talk about tonight, which this uh, passage in the book of Hebrews begins to describe. First of all, the book of Hebrews is considered by many to be um, a flawless book in the Word of God, both people that investigate textual criticism and commentary. Um, it is the scope, the depth, the breadth, and the length of this book is, is vast, deep, and incredible. Um, for many, many years, the author of the book of Hebrews was um, speculated to be the Apostle Paul. I happen to be in uh, the camp of commentators that believes that the Apostle Paul is absolutely the author of this book because of the incredible grasp of Judaism that is traversing across the divide of the Old Testament into the New. It has all the earmarks um, and all the indicators of being absolutely an expression of such a great and notable mind as the Apostle Paul. Also, in addition, for many, many years, and still today, it is considered to be what is known as a general epistle. The general epistles are different than the letters, uh, specific letters that are written to the churches that were started on the missionary journeys of most notably the Apostle Paul. Um, that would be, of course, uh, Galatians, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Thessalonians, so on and so forth. And then you have a body of books that were written and as a direct influence of the Holy Ghost that were written to the church in its entirety. And that would be, of course, First and Second Peter, the book of James, Philemon, um, even the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy, Titus, and the book of Hebrews is, there's others, but the book of Hebrews falls into the general uh, epistles. However, there is very strong indications that this was written to the church of Jews that had converted to Christianity, specifically at Jerusalem. There is a very large group of scholars that believes, just like First and Second Corinthians, was a letter that was specifically written to the city of Corinth. And I want to tell you, it's fascinating when you understand that those letters that were written were actually written to apostolic churches that were started in missionary journeys uh, of the Apostle Paul, uh, most notably. However, you have to understand that if you're talking about the book of Hebrews being addressed to the uh, Jewish converts to Christianity at Jerusalem, then you're talking about the very first converts that was on the day of Pentecost. 
And the breadth and scope and depth of the book of Hebrews is actually a, a vast um, a vast commentary of the Old Testament condensed in one book in the New Testament. If I had to give you one uh, synthesized description of the book of Hebrews, it would be that it is a panoramic view um, of what really matters. There's a whole much more than that. But according to the New Testament, it is a commentary that is condensed and put into the New Testament for us. Um, this particular passage of Scripture that I have read in your hearing is not being addressed to brand new converts. It is not being addressed uh, to people that still have the water dripping off of their heads onto their garments. It is being written to people well after the day of Pentecost and already have been exposed to much that God had for the church. Of course, the book of James, which many believe to be the oldest book um, in the New Testament. Uh, many believe that it is the book of James. Of course, James was the pastor at the church of Jerusalem. And, and so they already had been exposed to apostolic ministry and definitely the word of God. And so this is being written um, not to um, people that have revolutionized from one generation to the next. They were first-generation apostolics, but they were generationally Jewish and now first-generation apostolic. And the writer here is picking this up in verse number 11, um, like I was mentioning, he, it is a condensed form of the Old Testament, which he addresses among many other subjects. He's talking about the priesthood. And in this particular passage in chapter number five, he is talking about how that Jesus Christ fulfilled the office of Melchizedek. And I don't have time to get into the office of Melchizedek or the Aaronic priesthood even though it is an incredible study, and we definitely will address this at another time. But one phrase here that he picks up on, and where we're just going to kind of dovetail in, is found in verse number 11. And keep in mind with me as you have your Bibles open, we're going to look at this together. It will be on the overheads here if you didn't bring your Bible. But he is talking to mature Christians that were the very first recipients of the gospel in Jerusalem. And so he begins, um, he is talking about Melchizedek, and he, he ends that particular context by saying in verse number 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered because you are dull of hearing. Um, the word dull here means sluggish, slow, um, slow of heart, which is indicative of a grasp or a level of understanding or um, an ability to grasp or a readiness to grasp. The um, apostle is getting ready to go into this entire subject of addressing this group of Christians that you should know that the church at Jerusalem um, eclipsed in size and dynamic uh, with probably, with the exception 
of the book or the church at Ephesus and the church at Corinth went on to be notably the largest of all the apostolic churches of having over one million converts at Jerusalem. And so he is saying that I could say more and there's more that I probably should say and could say, but you are dull of hearing. And then he continues in verse number 12 in addressing this group of people at Jerusalem. He says, for when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you're at the maturity level, that you have been in the church long enough, you've been exposed to enough truth. In fact, um, in the same context, um, look at Hebrews chapter number 6, just the very next um, chapter, he's continuing this same thought, and this is the exact same experience. Look at verse number four. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. He's, this is the same context. He's addressing the exact same group of people. They have been enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift. They were partakers of the Holy Ghost. They tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Now, he finishes this context by saying, you, there is no escape for you folks because you cannot backslide and find another form of way into this. In fact, there's a lot of people through the years for the last 2,000 years, and I don't want to get off course here, but let's continue this thought since I already started it. Look at verse number six. If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For many, many years, there were biblical expositors and translators that believed that was saying that you cannot be saved if you ever backslid because there would be no way for you to get right saying that you couldn't, uh, there's only one gospel and one way to do this and you can't walk away from it if you've ever received the Holy Ghost. That is not what that scripture is saying. What that scripture is saying is, is you have received the truth, you have received the spirit of truth, you have received a touch of heaven. You have received the only gospel. No matter where you go, no matter what church you go to, no matter where you transfer, what country you go to, there's only one God. There's only one truth. And the only way you're going to get back in this, you got to go back through repentance. You got to go back to the cross. Someone clap your hands and give God the praise. can't say, well, there's another truth in addition to this. There's only one truth. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so, but he is beginning this particular discourse by telling them that, that you guys are sluggish. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I can put up with crying babies. If we are going to grow, we are going to have babies. Just don't leave their diapers in the bathroom for other people to partake of. Take your diapers home with you. Is that all right, Mom and Dad? Somebody help me out tonight. Some people want to get it in their flesh that any change, any request is like, wait a minute. No, you need to understand. This is a public facility, and we are open to reach the world. And when people walk into the bathroom, they shouldn't have to feel a diaper that's a week old, and now nobody wants to use the bathroom. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
And I'm going to tell you, if we're going to have revival and we are going to win people and we are going to be a vibrant, healthy church, we are going to have children. But children need to understand that this is the house of God, the ground and pillar of truth. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. And so, he's, is he rebuking these people? Well, Maybe. But I can tell you that God is expecting a lot more from this group of people than they were manifesting. Because he says, for when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as one as has need of milk and not of strong meat. Everyone that uses milk is unskillful. Now he's doing this as a contrast. He's saying, you're, you're acting like you've never heard this before. And there's been things going on that you've, you've, you've allowed an arrested development to take place. And now you're needing to hear basics again when you should be teachers. What would happen if this church became a Bible study giving soul winning machine. You say, you're asking too much. No, I'm asking too little. As a pastor, I'm expecting way too little of people. If you've been here any time at all, there's people going to hell that need to know that God can save. I think we ought to clap our hands right now. Come on, you can still whip a few devils. You can, if you're not giving any Bible studies, there's something wrong. If you're not whipping devils, there's something wrong. If you're not able to walk with power, there's something wrong. There's been an arrested development. And this is the only letter that I can think of where this particular subject that fascinates me is addressed. And it fascinates me because I think that it's so applicable to the church as a whole, and not just in Hebrews and Jerusalem, but here. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What that means is, is that an individual has lived by the Holy Ghost and the Word of God for such a period of time that their judgment system has adapted to the Word of God instead of their flesh and instead of the world. He's getting very specific with this context now. He's saying that somebody that knows what you guys know should already know what is right and what is wrong? I'm going to read that one more time just because I think it's that important. But strong meat, in contrast to milk, belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use of their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. The level of maturity where these people should be, 
should be that the apostle should be giving them meat and them being more than satisfied with it. But instead he's saying, you're having to require milk again. Arrested development. First of all, and beginning to get some direction in this, physical growth as a human being is the pattern in which the Spirit uses to give definable mile markers of growth in the Holy Ghost. For example, in John chapter number 3, verses 1 through 8, you don't have, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said, except a man is born again. So we're going all the way back. It doesn't matter if you're 60 years old or 16 years old or 6 years old. When you, when you are first brought into the kingdom of God, everybody enters as a newborn. I've met a few that when they were born again, they thought they were know-it-alls. But God quickly reveals to them through process and progress that really um, that's not the case. But everybody that's born of the water and the spirit will come through as a newborn. Everybody go, wham. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, we've got newborns. Did I, Brother Sloan, did I see you running the aisles tonight? I want to tell you, that's totally applicable. That is totally acceptable. Right on, right on, right on, right on, right on, right on. When you, when you are around babies, you have to, you change your, your behavior and, and your vocabulary a little bit for babies. I'm not going to walk up to a six-month-old and say, man, this, we're, this is really bad weather we're having today, isn't it? Yeah, I know. And he cries on my shoulder, and I cry on his shoulder. No, you're, if, you're, if you're a mature adult, your behavior and your vocabulary, your demeanor, your deportment, everything is modified for the age level of the people that you're talking to, right? When you get around a new convert, it, shouldn't, it should be up. I want to tell you, I got on this a couple weeks ago. We, we are not, you are not going to see people be sustained in the kingdom of God with moaning and groaning and bellyaching. They've been hearing that for the last 30 years. That's why they're in here. Your backslidden children that are that that you're waiting to come home, and I want to see them come home, but they're they're never going to stick if it's not more powerful than Snoop Dogg, and it doesn't have more excitement than than a Friday night one night stand. You got to have to worship. You're going to have to have to act like you're into this, like it's something, like it's glorious. Like, come on, somebody help me. Somebody out there, help me. Come on, if you're an adult and your senses are exercised, you ought to know this stuff. (laughs) 
Hallelujah. Praise God. What happens? What creates an arrested development? We'll get to that here in a moment. In 1 Peter 2 and 2, Brother Clark, the Bible says, now this is all of us. When we're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, we all come through as newborn. We all come through as born again if you really have the Holy Ghost. And we all desire the sincere. Look at this, 1 Peter 2 and 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. The milk of the word of God is given to you to help you grow. It's, it's given to you to give you strength. It's given to you to build up your resistance against the diseases that are in the world and, and the demonic forces that are after you. Well, in this context, you can see that it's very fitting for a newborn child to desire sincere milk. But in Hebrews chapter 5, the apostle is saying, when, at an age where you should be able to live on the depth and the strength of everything that God has to reveal to you out of this book, you're still needing milk. 1 Corinthians 13 and 11 says this. When I was a child, I spake as a child. First of all, you're a newborn. And then physically, you become a child. And then spiritually... The spiritual pattern is parallel to the physical. You're a newborn, then you are a child. The Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. One sociologist made this observation, and I'm only sharing this with you because I think it does, it does resonate, it has a resonation of truth to it, that in this hour, in the 21st century, what has happened in our culture is, is that men do not have a rite of passage where they have closure to their adolescence, and you now have adolescents in their 30s and 40s and 50s in which men are not men anymore. They're just boys in a men's body. I'm not saying that to anybody here tonight. I'm just making that as a sociological uh, thing. But I'm telling you, in the house of God, I'm glad to see that we have men over, young men over here that are dressed right. We have young men that are already entering the ministry. It's always going to be that way. Because we believe that when you become a man, you put away childish things. And you accept the meat of the word of God. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 4. And, you know, I better go there because there's a lot of scripture there and we don't want to hit all that. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Everybody said, that's the pastor. Everybody said, we love the pastor. You are not going to be what God wants you to be without the fivefold ministry. And this is, this is what God's intention for you is. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the acknowledging of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Everybody said man. Everybody said adult. 
It is the will of God that through the medium of ministry, your life is developed, raised, matured until you're a spiritual adult. Have you ever seen a, have you ever seen an adult acting behaving badly? I'm just going to let that one simmer for a minute. I saw I can't remember where it was, but I remember it very vividly. I saw where there was a man in England that was, I believe he was in his 40s, that was suffering from a rare disorder. Everything's a disorder in our world in which he gave up being an adult to go back to wearing diapers and having a pacifier in his mouth and actually found a family that was gullible enough to put up with that and to raise him. I would say that's an arrested development. There are a multitude and host of scriptures that describe the maturity of a child of God and the significance of that maturity with blessing. You see, it's the world wants to keep us immature. No matter how much I don't like it, I'm starting to get a few more wrinkles. And as bad as, well, you know, I don't really care, but I'm starting to get gray hair. I know there's some people like, I remember, um, I remember we had, my wife had a 40, no, she had a 35-year-old birthday party for me, but there was a 40-year-old birthday party for me the year after we came here to start a church, and we just had a handful of people. And I remember uh, that there was a couple in our church at the time that brought me a cake that had, it said 40, had the numbers 40 on it, and had a buzzard on it. Listen, I don't have the hang-up that a lot of people have that, um, that age and reality. Everybody said reality. The reality is you're going to get a few wrinkles. The reality is you're going get to get a, get a few gray hairs. The reality of it is you're one day closer to seeing Jesus Christ. And depending on how freaked out you are on how you fit in with the world is going to determine, in my opinion, where your focus is. Uh, don't try to color your hair because gray's just going to come back, and it's false. This is not a church that's built. This is why we're not into the facade of makeup and, 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 and dyeing your hair. Why? Because it's fake. Just be what you are and say, bless God, this is who God created me to be, and I'm one day closer to seeing Jesus. Yes, I know what you're thinking. The day is going to come that even your pastor will wear pampers again, but I will be one day closer to seeing Jesus. 
And let's clap our hands and give God the praise. God knows what he's doing. We were never intended to fit in this world. You know, you were never intended to make a fashion statement. You were never intended to fit in with Hollywood. You were never intended to fit in with New York. You were never, come on somebody, clap your hands and give him praise. We are to fill in with eternity. We fit in with God. Now there's nothing wrong with looking nice. Style and content are two different things. But I'm just saying, maturity physically is something that's just going to happen. Whether you're in a crib or whatever. But spiritual maturity is not automatic. You know, when my wife and I came to uh, Spokane almost a quarter of a century ago, I had such high ideals for the church that I wanted to pastor. And I want to tell this congregation tonight that I have not given up those ideals. I have, I have not given up my ideals on that, of pastoring a church that produces godly, mature, world-changing people. And so when I look at a person's life, and maybe you're not there yet, I don't look at you and judge you for where you are. I see the ideal, and I see where you are, and through the process of time, I'm doing my best to bring an alignment to that. Now, some people resent that. Because they think the pastor is pushing them. But you have to understand, we read the scripture. It's impossible for you to come to the full stature of maturity without ministry. And so if there's anybody that's going to see good in you, if there's anybody that's going to see hope for you, if there's anybody that's going to see ministry for you or something glorious and powerful, it's your pastor. Clap your hands and give God the praise. It's not your pastor's desire to see people fail. It's not your pastor's desire to see people sit there and never get strong and never be overcomers and never get powerful and never be blessed. It is the will of God. Everybody's blessed. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. Everybody, everybody. I'm not giving up on nobody. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how bad it looks. You are growing. Just get a hold of it and say, I will grow. talk about arrested development. But I want to tell you something. One of the biggest things that absolutely stops people in their tracks is they stop, they start failing. They start making mistakes. And that is because you, the concept of grace is spiritual. It's not physical. In fact, everything in my nature is totally opposed to the revelation and the understanding of what grace is. Because in my flesh, I think everything is e, 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 one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D. You do this, you do that, you do this. That's the way our flesh thinks. But you have to understand what grace says. Grace says, 
as long as you're moving in the right direction, God is with me. God is for You can drop the ball and all of a sudden wake up when you're 50 and say, I'm going to get with it. And God says, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. God does not give up. God is into developing you. God is looking for maturity. God is looking for strength. God is looking for people that have exercised their senses. This is why when I hear of certain Pentecostal environments that is, you know, we're allowed to do this. That's not how you base the, the governance of, of what is permitted and not permitted. I'm going to this church because my pastor lets me do this. That's not why, that's, that's not the reasoning of why you allow something or you don't do something. I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder my spiritual development. I could care less what anybody's doing. I want more God. I want more glory. I want more grace. And God's got it all. God's got it all. What happens is, is we end up pulling the plug on ourselves and we think that God thinks the way about us that we think about us. Oh man, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, just, just a slob doing my job. Well, that ain't how God sees you. You're somebody special. One human being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, is a futuristic forerunner of a whole new world. What kind of value can you put on that? Well, I got about 10 tablespoons of salt and a couple of quarts of water and a couple, some pints of blood and some grease. And not much to it. Not according to Jesus Christ. You're worth everything. Now I'm going to get. I'm going to make one more statement along these lines, and I'm going to get back up where I belong. If God brought you here for me to be your pastor, and I'm still your pastor, it's because God has bigger plans for you. Clap your hands and give God the praise. I've accepted that. I've accepted that. We've got people entering in the ministry that some people would have written off years ago. You know what? God is in it. God is for you. Clap your hands back there. Clap your hands over there. Give God the praise over there. You're not a has-been. You're a gonna-be. But it's up to you. It's up to you to find out what happened to your development. The apostle is not being real genteel here when he's addressing this group of people. I mean, he's not, in an apostolic sense, he's rebuking them. He doesn't hate them. He's not putting them down in a, in a personal, demeaning, insultive way, but he's judging them. 
He's judging them in the light of reality. He's saying, you, you, you've been sitting around here for years. You should already know this stuff. But you're needing to go back to the basics all over again. Let's just lift our hands right now. Let's just love the Lord. God, I love you. Jesus, I just pray that your spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation will move through this tremendous group of people here tonight. And something, something slide into the keyhole and turn the tumbler and open a fresh door. Let's ask ourselves tonight. What has caused our arrested development, if it's applicable at all? The number one reason, and I don't mean this in a linear fashion because I think that they're probably all equal, but I'm, you got to start somewhere. Number one is the greatest, the greatest injustice you can do to yourself is to have the Holy Ghost but live in the flesh. First of all, we need to understand why the Holy Ghost was given to us. The Holy Ghost was not given to us so that we would speak in tongues. The Holy Ghost was given to you so that the character of Jesus could be developed inside you. That's the first reason. The second reason, and I feel very strongly about this, is that the Holy Ghost is God's power to help us overcome our flesh. You can't overcome your flesh without the Holy Ghost. It is impossible for a person to overcome their own carnal nature without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. All of you out there that are struggling, all of you that are, and, and I'm just going to take my liberty, I'm not saying God told me this, but perhaps you're sitting here tonight and, and you're, you're feeling convinced that I should just give up. And what's the use? And I just keep messing up. That I'm a, let, me, let me adjust your thinking. That is not your problem. Your deal is you need to get in the Holy Ghost. Because when you get in the Holy Ghost, your flesh is not a problem. Your anger is not a problem. Your memories are not a problem. Those things that are bugging you are not a problem. You will walk in the Holy Ghost. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. God's answer to the flesh problem is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When I'm feeling incredible, incredibly carnal, and sometimes I don't feel that way, but I need my wife to remind me, honey, you're, you're carnal. No, I know when I need to pray. I want to tell you what, the Holy Ghost is there to quicken my mortal body. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I don't need all these rules and regulations. That's the only verse you need right there. <laughs> well, Pastor, you know, I need 12 weeks of counseling because I got a pornography problem. No, you just need to walk in the Spirit. Verse number 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. They're at war, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. The apostle Paul said it best in Romans chapter 7, he, and, and this is without the Holy Ghost. The things I don't want to do are the things I do. And the things I'm supposed to do, the things I don't do. That's how a person battles without the Holy Ghost. You and I are going to have to stand and give an account to God. In fact, all of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it talks about wood, hay, and stubble and precious stones and precious, that's talking about, that's talking about what did I allow the Holy Ghost to produce in me? Did it, did it produce more carnality? Did I produce more flesh? Did I produce more stuff that God can't build on? Or did I produce, produce eternal things? Somebody said Bible study. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that this is not the most exciting thing you probably have heard all week, but I promise you this is the most necessary thing that you've heard all week. And the fact that we have to be 100 octane all the time, nobody can live that way, not even me. And I love it when the Holy Ghost gets to moving. In fact, I still run the aisles, but I only make it to that pew right there. Okay, but at least I'm moving. When God's moving, I want to be moving. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7 says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen, if you're doing a bunch of stupid stuff, don't get mad at God when stupid stuff happens. Peter said, if any one of you suffer as an evildoer, it's your fault. But if you suffer as a Christian, just be of good cheer because you're, you're suffering like Christ did. Let's go to the next, go to the next verse. Look at this. For he that soweth to the flesh, I don't want to go to prayer. It's too loud. I don't, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like Pretty soon, your flesh is in control. People that are walking in the Spirit, it's not a bunch of conveniences in a candy store. Like, you know, I'll take that and I'll take that and I like this. No, if you're going to be saved, you, the Spirit in you is telling the flesh, listen, we're not doing this your way. We're doing this God's way. No, some of you need to get yourself by the nap of the neck and say, I am not going to hell. God did not die in vain. God did not give me the spirit in vain. I'm gonna, we're going to do something if it's the last thing on earth. I'm going to leave this world like Samson, but I'm going to do more damage in my death. There are some folks, I love you, 
It may not be what you think, the kind of love that you expect a pastor to give to you, but I'm telling you right now, I love you. But I'm just telling you, I'm concerned about some people that have allowed an arrested development, that have been around for years and years and years and years and years, and could be the head and not the tail. And I would like nothing more as the pastor to see you take your rightful place as the head and not the tail. But being the tail is a choice. Not going to prayer meetings is a choice. Not fasting is a choice. Not forgiving your brother is a choice. Not receiving forgiveness from God is a choice. Listening to the devil is a choice. Listening to your flesh is a choice. Running with the world is a choice. And when it all caves in, God, it's not much. You are reaping what you've sowed. Clap your hands and give God the praise. But let me appeal to you. You can set it all on flames tonight and say, God, I'm making up my mind. I am going to go out of here with a flame of glory. I'm going to get a crown. I'm going to wash in the blood. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. You're going to be accountable. Pastor, I've been here for you fill in the blank. God's going to hold you accountable for that. God's going to hold me accountable. There is no escape. God is a very wise businessman. He's after getting a return from his investment. That was the whole deal about the parable of the talents, why one man was rejected and two others got rewarded because one person just sat and they had experienced an arrested development and they allowed their thinking to become unspiritual and their attitude to get, and their self-perception became cloudy and it, it, it was an arrested development and, and it brought them to judgment. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Number two. Prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is the single worst thing you can do for yourself, is let yourself off the hook and not pray. Prayer is to the spiritual man what communication and relationship is to the natural man. And no man is an island. Nobody can live all by themselves and say, I'm going to heaven. I don't need a pastor. I don't need people that rub me the wrong. You know what? If I understand this Bible correctly, Enemies are a necessity, but you don't have right to, you don't, you are not going to be rewarded. You're probably going to be judged. You cannot get ugly at your enemies. You're supposed to love your enemies. Well, pastor, I got a problem with this, this, what are you doing about it? Well, I'm getting a bad attitude. You are, you are going to be judged for that attitude. But when the people that rub you the wrong way, you actually take that to prayer. Now you're like God because you've accepted the fact that it rains on the just and the unjust. See, You have to accept the fact 
that you're going to live in an imperfect world with imperfect people in an imperfect church with imperfect relationships. Now stick with me. I'm moving into the Holy Ghost right now. See, if you start cutting off all your relationships where it's just people that agree with you, that's not God. That's you. And your anointing level or your blessing level or your empowerment level that's from God is going to be in, to a certain extent, to the same degree that you put up with things that you don't want to put up with in the flesh, but you put up with it because there's a spiritual principle that's greater. I've seen people that say, we're going to get rid of this, we're going to get rid of that, we're going to get rid of this, we're going to get rid of that. And when it's all, when it's all done, it's just all the people that they like and they agree with. And now God has to bring somebody up in their own family because you're not going to be saved without somebody. You're not, that's a, a man's enemies will be of his own household. Until you learn to get that attitude out, here's how you deal with those kind of feelings. Start praying for that person. And what happens, it has to be genuine. You start praying for that person, and God converts your negative feelings into positive feelings. And now you now begin to pity those people. And until you truly pity them, you haven't gotten over them. Well, I just want to pastor a church where everybody loves me. I'm in the wrong church. I need some new pampers. But see, I've learned to pray for people, even that don't like me. Because in doing so, God says, I can trust that guy. And the church keeps growing. Clap your hands and give God the praise. See, you don't have a right to, to hate somebody. Because now God says, I'm going to judge you. Because just like they need grace, you need grace. And just like they need mercy, you need mercy. And just like they need forgiveness. Come on, somebody. Let's give God the praise. This is just the way we're doing it here in Cornerstone. you got to learn to love your enemies. And when you learn to love your enemies, the people that despitefully use you, God says, I can trust that man with authority, power, anointing, and influence because he's not going to destroy people. If it's left to you that you could destroy people, God says, I can't trust that person because six months from now, that person might be on their face praying through, begging for forgiveness. Arrested development. We're supposed to grow through problems, not go to hell through problems. Not become lost in a problem. Not become confused in a problem. I walk through the valley. I don't live in the valley. I didn't buy a condo in the valley. I'm not buying a resort property in the valley. I'm not buying a gravestone in the valley. I'm walking through the valley. And when you come through the valley, friend, there is a table 
that is prepared for you in the presence of your, you ain't never going to get there if you lose it in the valley. You can run, you can do this, you can go wherever you want to want. Trust me, God's got an enemy waiting on you wherever you're going. Because you ain't going to get, you're not going to get out of here without that lesson. God is not interested as much as what happens to us as to what we do with what happens to us. Everything that happens to you will either move you closer to God or it's intended to move you out of God's presence. That's what happened in John 15. They that bear not fruit, the Father removes. He removes the branches that do not produce fruit. And every time there's a cutting, there's a season in which there's cutting. It's not 365 days out of the year. It's just a season. That is intended to bring forth more fruit that the Father may be glorified. Let's give him praise right now. Come on. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Praise God. Pastor, every time you talk like this, you act like you're talking to people. I am talking to people. I'm pastoring people. There's a guy that used to go to this church, used to openly look right at me and tell me, I don't like you. You can't afford to get that spirit on you. But I put up with that. He'd look right at me and say, I don't like you and I'm not listening to you. I can tell you the guy's name. Some of you already know who I'm talking about. I never one time told him, get out of here. I never one time told him, I hate you. I never one time told him, I don't like you. I never one time told him, I don't want to be your pastor. Because I want to keep growing. And I'm not going to let a person come between me and Jesus Christ. One more time, let's love him. Let's love him. You can make this. You can do this. You get to praying and get full of the Holy Ghost, you can do this. You start walking in the Spirit and not the flesh, you can do this. You can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengtheneth you. Hold on, sister piano player. Prettiest piano player I ever did see. Go to Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. But beloved, look at this. Look at this with me. Building up yourselves. What can stop a person to grow? Number one, your flesh. Number two, you're not praying. Number three is worldliness. A preference for the things of this world will seriously debilitate and stifle our growth. 1 John 2, verse number 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A love for the world... A love for the world is causing people to leave truth. I mean, when they know that there should be a line there, there's people that their flesh is saying, no, I don't want that line there. Other things that will hinder and create an arrested development. Listen carefully. I'm coming down the home stretch. Number one is unforgiveness. Either receiving forgiveness for myself, 
either for a failure or a string of failure or giving forgiveness will cause us to freeze and experience an arrested development. Number two, resentment and bitterness. Resentment and bitterness will cause us, even the fruit that we had before we got bitter will begin to be lost. Instead of voluptuous and ripe and strong and powerful, it becomes knobby and shriveled. Number three, hardness of heart. The experiences of life, if we do not endure them biblically and spiritually, it will have a residual effect on our very own hearts. And it's not that you're an evil person, but you, you get to the place, my, I can't feel anything. Your heart becomes obdurant. And the, re, the way that a person's heart becomes hard is they don't go through situations according to the word and the spirit. They go through it, but they go through it according to their own mind. And it has a debilitating effect on the human heart, the spirituality of a person. What causes an arrested development? Unresolved woundedness. I can't trust the leader. If you're in this church and you don't trust me, I am inviting you to privately come to me so that we can work on that because I want you to trust me. Well, pastor, I don't know about this. And I don't, listen, I don't either. I don't have all the answers. I'm not God. But when you, when, you, when you get it all through and you start finding out that it's really not what it appears to be, it's really something else. But I want to tell you, that if you're having problems trusting a pastor that for the last 23 years came here when there was nothing and has given blood, sweat, and tears and will do it all over again today, tomorrow, the next day for you, for the next family that comes in, the next person that walks in. See, sometimes people have an arrested development because they had unexpected they had unrealistic expectations of what they felt like I should have done. You don't understand. I know more than you. And I have to operate on what I know, not what you think. And in doing so, people say, well, I guess I, guess I can't manipulate the pastor, and I guess the pastor is unreasonable. No, the pastor is weighing out all the facts, and he prays to a God that sent him here. No, some of you need to understand this. Your expectations of a pastor have to be realistic to what a real pastor is. And if you're, if you're walking in the flesh and you're not praying and you've got a bunch of worldliness, you're not going to understand what any pastor is doing. Because there's some things... The, the, the Bible says the physical man cannot receive the things of the Spirit, for they're spiritually understood. The Spirit is not going to communicate to your flesh. The Spirit's only going to communicate to the Spirit that's in you. There are some of us that have experienced an arrested development. We have stopped at a time when you should be given Bible studies, winning souls, winning everybody, having great revival. 
And so I've just come here tonight to tell you that it's real. It's not difficult to move forward. But you have to start with repentance. You finally have to come to the place saying, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. When it finally dawns on you that I am not living according to what's being preached, what's being taught, or anything else, that should cause us to repent. Not to feel like a failure, not to feel like I'm never going to make it, not to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a Judas. No, I rebuke all that. That's not from God. But to realize that, you know what, I'm going I'm to repent. I'm going to get beyond this. I'm going to move beyond this. I'm going to dream again. I'm going I'm to dance again. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to rejoice again. The sun is going to shine again. Everything starts with repentance. Number two, things that will get spiritual growth back on track is a daily relationship with God, praying every day. You know, prayer is, prayer is not just a lost art. Do you know how many people that have come through our church and said, we have never even seen that a church has all prayer, all church prayer night? That is, that is missing. A daily relationship with God by praying. I don't care if it's only 15 minutes a day, but it's you and God. You're tagging in. You're saying, God, I know that you're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're, you're, you're the great physician. You're the wonderful counselor. You're going with me today. I'm not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize that relationship. I'm not going to act presumptuously or act with a high hand and just do whatever I want to do. I'm not going to commit the presumptuous sin. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk in the Word of God. I want to do those things to please Him. Clap your hands and give him praise. Number three, things that will get spiritual growth back on track. Number one is repentance. Pastor, do you ever repent? All the time. time pastor, preaching all these conferences. Guess what? I'm a sinner. Well, you're acting up there acting. I'm not acting anything. I'm telling you, I need to repent. But bless your heart, I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit walking in the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to quit winning people for God. I'm not going to quit letting God do whatever God wants to do. I'm not going to have an arrested development. I've only got a few days left. Number three. Witnessing. This is a divine expectation for our God-given identity. You know, I know that this is, this really is a revelation. And once you get this revelation, you'll, you'll, you'll be so passionate about it. But after you get the Holy Ghost and you feel the joy and the power and the thrust and, and the excitement of that, the only way that that's renewed outside of a deep prayer life is to see somebody else get the Holy Ghost. You wonder why I'm up in the, in the, in the altar every service? 
I want to see somebody else get it. I'm going to see, because now my joy becomes multiplied. Now I, I get excited, Brother Reed, when I see somebody else get excited. I, I get excited when I see somebody get healed. I get excited when I see somebody get a revelation. I get excited. You, what happens is, you think you're just maintaining. There is no neutral ground in God. You're either coming forward or you're going backwards. There is no neutral ground in God. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. I believe we're moving forward tonight. Let's lift our hands and give him the prayer. If I need to repent, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to have, God, forgive me. I, I, let, let's find a place to pray. Let's have a daily prayer life. Let's have a daily walk with God. Let's love our brother. Let's love one another. Let's do whatever it takes. I'm almost done. got two more. Repentance. Daily relationship with God. Witnessing. Number four. You, you ready? Worship. I didn't come to church to see who's here, who's not here. I came here to worship God. Let's lift our hands and worship Him. God believes in you. God believes in you to do exploits. Pastor, you have no idea. I, listen, I will never be able to fathom all the things, but I'm telling you, God knows. God knows. And God is a God of possibilities. And the most incredible of odds. Repentance, daily relationship with God, witnessing, worship, and renewing your desire to become everything that God has for you. Let's stand tonight. To the arrested development, wherever it might be, this is a message of hope, of renewal, and resurgence. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. Let's give God the praise. Come on, let's call on the name of Jesus. You know what? This altar is open. You want to come and, 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 and make things right, make those connections tonight? This is your... God sent me here to talk about this. God sent me here to help to help get the clog drain unclogged and, and open up the arteries and open up the channels and open up the portals and open up your possibilities. <laughs>